funny is it that just when I need him most, God often seems to be silent. If you've ever wrestled with that question, you're in good company. Even the psalmist asked God why he hides his face and is silent. Today, you'll get some loud answers to a silent question. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukerin. Dr. Zukerin is a popular speaker and scholar specializing on world religions, worldviews, and matters of faith and culture. We've collected resources for you on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is available in Pat's books and articles, past radio shows, and interviews with leading experts. So take a look around at evidenceandanswers.org. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you'll find topics that will fascinate and inform you. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And now here's Pat with part two of The Silence of God. Why is God silent when I need to hear from Him the most? For a scholar like Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, the ability to see and write is absolutely critical, ain't it? If a guy needs to be able to see and write, that's Paul. And if it is cataracts, which, which I think the evidence points there, he's praying that God would deliver him from the thorn in his side. He says, three times I prayed, and God didn't answer. And finally God said, my grace is sufficient for you. God held back and didn't answer his prayer. Why? It was for Paul's protection. What's Paul say? To keep me from being proud and depending on myself and stop depending on him, he gave me this thorn in his side. Paul could have been a very arrogant and proud guy. He is perhaps the greatest uh, scholar and philosopher that has ever walked upon the earth. Uh, Anthony Flew, the great atheist philosopher who became a theist, died about a year ago. He is the Billy Graham of the atheists. Okay? Anyone in apologetics, you had to answer Anthony Flew. No one's come up with a new argument against the existence of God uh, from David Hume until Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew is the guy who debated often with C.S. Lewis, right? Titan amongst the atheists. Okay? And he said, I don't believe in any religion. You know, I believe in God, I don't believe in any religion. But if you want any religion, he said, Jesus is as great a model as you're ever going to find, and the Apostle Paul is perhaps the greatest philosopher you will ever study. So the thorn inside uh, was for Paul's protection. God may be holding back to accomplish what may be a greater good. And often as sinful, self-centered, finite beings, often what we may be praying may not be the best, actually may not be good in some situations. Next. Often we cannot mature if he's always intervening and making the way straight for us. The only way creatures created in the image of God who are free and have a free will, the only way we're going to learn is to go through struggles. Uh, immature faith depends on circumstances and situations. Mature faith holds on no matter what, resting and trusting in God, even through those difficult times. You know, as parents, right, if you always intervene in your child's life, they'll never mature. Right? I mean, if they're doing their math homework and they're stuck at 3 plus 3 and they go, hey, Dad, what's 3 plus 3? You go, 6. And they go, hey, what's 4 plus 3? 7. Hey, what's 5 plus 4? 9. You know, if you keep giving them the answer and you don't let them struggle, they ain't ever going to learn math. If God always intervenes in our life and never allows us to go through the struggle, it's impossible for us to mature. Look at the life of Joseph. All right, Joseph in the Old Testament. 
God told him as a young teenager, through a dream, one day you are going to be the ruler of your people. Remember, he told his brothers, hey, I had a dream, and, you know, the sun and moon, and then you were the 12th, so you guys bowed down to me, you know. God was telling him, you're going to be the ruler of his people. However, God knew you can't take a spoiled 18-year-old kid and make him the most powerful ruler, you know, the ruler of the most powerful nation in the world. There's a maturity process that's got to come through there. So what happens after he gets this great promise that he's going to be the ruler of his people? Well, his brothers try to murder him, right? Throw him in a pit and they want to kill him. You know, ends up, Reuben ends up talking him out of it. But then they sell him off into slavery, right? And he, you know, he's probably wondering, hey, God, where are you? Where's this promise you gave me? All right? Jump in and intervene anytime now. You know, the promise is in trouble. And then what happens? He serves his master faithfully for several years and what? The master's wife tries to commit adultery with Joseph. Joseph, being a righteous man, wanted to protect his master, takes off. He gets falsely accused and ends up where? In jail. He was in there for several years. And in jail, what happens? He meets two guys. One guy is the cupbearer for the king, and he has this dream. And Joseph said, man, you're going to be restored. You're going to be pouring wine for the king. And when you do, remember me, all right? I've been put here unjustly, and I'm not even from Egypt, all right? I want to go home. And the cupbearer gets restored a few days later, and what happens? The guy forgets. All right, now, years go by, and Joseph is still in jail. And what is Joseph thinking? He might be thinking, God, where are you? What happened to the great promise you gave me? What's going on? Where are you, God, when I need you the most? God was holding back in Joseph's life, allowing him to go through that. Why? He needed to mature and refine Joseph. He needed a man with the kind of quality character Joseph was going to have so that one day God could fulfill his will in the life of Joseph, making him the ruler of the most powerful nation, Egypt. And eventually there's a great story of restoration with his family. But God may hold back many times because he needs for us to mature. Maturity cannot happen unless you let that person that immature person, go through the struggle. That's the only way maturity comes about. Okay? That's why James 1, you know, he says, uh, rejoice when you suffer trials of many kinds. Why? Because okay? develops perseverance. Perseverance develops character. Right? Character hope. Um, it's only going to come when you go through those kinds of struggles. That's the only way we learn. God may answer in ways we do not perceive. Okay? Job... 33, verse 14. Now, remember the story of Job. Hey, Job loses everything, and his wife ends up telling him, hey, curse God and die. Uh, how bad does that get? And then, Job's friends come, right? Larry, Moe, and Curly. They come, and they give this superficial kind of answer, and you read throughout Job. He looks at him and he says, you guys cause me more pain all right, I wish you guys keep quiet. But they come up to Job and they're like, you know, if you read the text, they're like, hey, dude, you know, <clears throat> what's your deal, man? You know, obviously you've sinned, and that's how it works. You sin, bad things happen. So what's your sin, man? Fess up, dude. And Job looks at him and he goes, I don't know. He says, hey, I'm not perfect, but I've walked with integrity before God. And they, and they look at him and they go, no, man, you know, dude, Right? That's how they talk, right? Dude. Right? 
if you read the Hebrew, they're like, hey, dude. They're like, no, dude, you've obviously sinned. That's how it works. It's simple. Two plus two, right? Sin, bad things happen. Walk in righteousness, good things happen. Hey, that's simple. That's how it works in life. That's how God works. So simple, man. Okay, so dude, what's your sin? And Job is going, man, I'm tired of you guys, you know? But I don't know. I don't know. All right, and they come back. Third time, hey, dude, obviously you sin. All right, fess up. And Job says, I don't know. And they said, I see you're being proud. You're being arrogant. You know, come on, fess up on your sin. Right? That's how we Christians often are. Right? Oh, your wife left you. You must have been a bad husband. You know, what'd you do? Did you beat her? What? You know, what? Oh, yeah. Look at a magazine? What? You know, and a, a husband, you're not perfect. But a man of walking in integrity with God may be going, you know, I'm not sure. She didn't say anything. Took off. Or a wife, you know, husband took off. Or a younger secretary, yeah, you know, I mean. She, she, she put on weight. She got older, you know, and stuff. And she's just sitting there going, well, I wasn't perfect, but man, I, I worked hard at this. Oh, obviously you didn't. You know, if you did, your husband would be here. You know, I mean, there's this one girl. She doesn't attend church anymore. She, she still reads her Bible. She doesn't attend church. Why? Well, because, you know, her husband tried to kill her. You know, he was on cocaine and all this kind of tried to kill her. And when she went back to church, the pastor said, if you loved him like you were supposed to, he would love you and that would have never happened. You know, if you gave him sex and, you know, all that and, you know, were intimate with him and all this, uh, he wouldn't be on drugs. What's your deal, man? Fess up. And from then on, she never attended church again. All right? And that's what Job's friends were like. Now, finally, we get a breath of fresh air because Elihu comes along. Now, Elihu is one of the younger guys. And he doesn't speak up because he's younger than the other three. But finally he speaks up. And what he speaks is finally some sense of wisdom from the Lord. And he says this in verse 14. For God speaks now one way, now another. Though man may not perceive it. And Job says this. God may be answering prayer, but we're looking in the wrong place. Or God may be answering prayers in silent, quiet ways, working behind the scenes in ways we don't perceive or yet understand. And he gives four possibilities. He says, perhaps God may answer in a dream, in a vision of the night. Or he may be, or a man may be chastened on a bed of pain. Maybe it's through pain that God is speaking. And then the final way, he says, or maybe through an angel. Okay? He's telling Job, God may be speaking in many different ways, but perhaps in ways that we do not perceive. We're looking in the wrong place. And that's what the book of Esther, that's what the book of Ruth is all about. How God works very silently in ways we don't see until we turn around and look back. Perhaps God is answering in ways we do not want to see. It's got to be answered in this way, God. You know, but perhaps he is answering in another way that we do not see, we do not perceive, or we simply are ignoring. You know, we can ignore anything we want to ignore. One way God answers, you know, I remember this one lady, we were talking. She was saying, you know, if, if God would just speak to me, if he would put his arms around me and everything... I'd be happy, but he hasn't. 
you know, and she said, I know the old age. I know what you're going to tell me, Pat. You're going to say, ooh, through the word. God speaks through his word. Ooh, she said, hey, pages aren't very comforting in a time like this, man. And as I began watching her going through a very difficult time of, of losing her son and seeing her husband run off, I noticed that the body of Christ was ministering to her in tremendous ways, you know, ways that, boy, you know, I wish they would minister, you know, I wish my church would minister to me in this way. And she couldn't see it. She was going, look, man, you know, God has abandoned me. God is not speaking to me. I'm not being comforted. He's not comforting me. Uh, where is God? Where is God? And there are the people of God showering her with tremendous love and uh, consoling her, sitting with her through the night, and she's over there going, where is God? Where's my husband? How come he's not back here? You know, on and on and on. And I looked at her and I said, God answers in many ways, perhaps in ways you do not perceive. And she said, all right, well, then where is he? You know, and I said, you know, God not only speaks through his word, he speaks through his people. I said, it's the people of God who may be the answer to your prayers right now. She was like, oh, no, it can't be. God, you know, he's got to restore my marriage. Uh, missed the whole thing. Okay? I think she was ignoring how God was working in her life. Perhaps God is answering, but in ways we do not perceive or understand. Or finally, perhaps God may seek to work through the tragedy to accomplish something very significant in a way we're not going to forget. Right? In John chapter 11, right, when you read that story, Word comes to Jesus. Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, is sick. Come and heal him. And what's the text say? Jesus waited two days. Then he finally shows up, and Lazarus has already died. Now, could have Jesus gotten there right away? Yeah. Mary and Martha come up to him and say, Hey, had you been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus... And what happens there? It says, and Jesus wept. Right? Jesus related with us, entered into our pain, entered into our struggle, and it says that Jesus wept. He felt the pain, he felt the sorrow. And then he taught one of the greatest lessons he, he was ever going to teach, right? I am the resurrection, and I am the life. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. Perhaps God may be seeking to work through that tragedy in very significant ways, that we may not understand until it happens. You know, Joseph, after all those years, right? Genesis chapter 50, when you come to the end, the brothers come to Joseph because their father is going to die. And they say, hey, Joseph, be merciful to us. And Joseph looks at him and he says, what you meant, you meant for evil. But God used it for the good and the salvation of many. What you did, you intended for evil. God used it for good. Perhaps through the situation... God is working through it to bring about his purpose and do something uh, significant, but he's got to allow us to go through the situation first. Well, what do we do then when God appears to be silent? In those moments where we're in the desert and we don't see him at work at all, what do we do? Well, number one, if truth sets you free, false ideas, false beliefs are going to keep you in bondage. It's going to keep you from moving on if you embrace false ideas. What are some of them? I've identified about 20. We'll just go through about three or four here. Number one, if God would answer my prayer, and you know what the difficulty is this, is 
we often as Christians think we've got Bible verses to support some of these false beliefs. God would answer my prayer quickly in a timely fashion. I will believe, never doubt his existence, goodness, or love. Is that true? What's a good example? The book of Exodus. Right? The book of Exodus. God did miracles daily for the people of Israel. The ten plagues of Egypt. Parts the Red Sea. Kills all of Pharaoh's army. And then as they're through the desert, what? He covers them with a cloud for shade. He's a light by night. Daily he feeds them with manna from heaven. Heavenly bread. Okay, the heavenly bakery. Then they say, hey, we need meat. He gives them meat. He's answering their prayers daily. He's working in their life. Numbers 14, one of the most tragic passages of the Bible. They come to the promised land, and God says, here it is, man. Go take it. And what do they do? They rebel. They say, no, we can't do it. Who is this God who brought us into the desert to die out here? Oh, he's not good. He's not loving. You know, oh, we're going to die. Right? So God says, all right. That's it. This generation, you're going to die in the desert. Your children will enter the promised land, but not you. Okay, why is that? Well, power does not foster love or trust. If God would always answer my prayers and work in obvious ways, I'll never doubt. No. Look at Solomon. Here's a guy that God spoke to and God blessed in incredible way. There's never been a wealthier man than Solomon. And at the end, what book did he write? Ecclesiastes. There's a man who turned away from God. And in the end, he wrote... Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Revelation 20. Okay, those of you who hold to premillennialism, in the thousand-year rule of Christ, when Christ rules upon the earth, Isaiah 65, verse 24 says, Before they speak, I will answer. All right? But at the end of the thousand-year rule, what happens? Satan is let loose from the bottomless pit, Revelation 20, and deceives the nations, and there's a great war once again, against the Lamb and his army uh, and the nations who have chosen to follow the devil. Just because God moves and answers prayer constantly does not mean we are always going to trust and never doubt. Here's another one. I do not deserve to suffer. I do not deserve to suffer. When people are going through incredible pain, they say, what did I do to deserve this? I don't deserve this. Hebrews 5.8 says this, Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. If the Son of God had to go through suffering, what makes us think we're supposed to be exempt from it? Okay? If the most perfect man in the world, the Son of God, had to learn obedience through the things he suffered, why do we think we're supposed to be exempt? Here's another one. God always delivered his people from their suffering. Okay, You read the Bible... Ah, they're coming right, and then God comes right through in the clutch, right? Every single time, right? What Bible have you been reading? If you read the Bible, God never delivers his people from their suffering. Hey, I had people say, well, what about Job? Well, yeah, God blessed him, thousand cattle. Uh, did, you, did you read chapter 1 through 38? How would you like to go through that? What about Peter? Didn't God get Peter out of jail and all that? How would you like to die upside down on the cross? Well, what about Paul? Paul and Silas, they were in the Philippian jail and there was an earthquake and, and they got out. Well, read the story before that. What happened? They got beaten, then they got whipped, and they were put in stocks and they were there all night. Right? It says, we, in the wee hours of the morning, they sang and finally they were delivered. 
God always delivered his people from their suffering. No, if you read the Bible, God never delivers his people from their suffering. Uh, We'll just cover one more here. God is obligated to answer my prayers. Matthew 7.10. Matthew 7.10. Which one of you, if he has a son who asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give gifts to those who ask Him? All right, there you go. God is obligated to answer all my prayers. No, there's two people I know whose prayers were not answered. And one of them, his name was Jesus. Matthew 26, he prayed. And he prayed diligently and very intensely. There's any way we can do this another way. Take this cup from me. And God didn't answer that one. Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, right? Prayed that he be released from his thorn in the flesh. God didn't answer that one. And remember, when you get to passages like Matthew 7, verse 10, there's always qualifiers in there, right? Jesus says here that God will give you every good gift. God will give you everything you ask for, every good gift. And you know what? Being selfish, sinful, finite beings, sometimes we don't know what good is. You know, there was a guy, I remember he was praying, he was so depressed because God didn't answer his prayer for a wife. You know, and um, uh, then he finally got this girlfriend and, and they were going out for about a year and then they broke up. He was praying that God would bring her back. And he was so depressed that God wouldn't bring her back. And finally, you know, I met both of them. Uh, we went out to dinner, I saw them interact together and uh, she was she was pretty. Oh, wow, she was one ornery lady. She was mean, you know? And the way she talked to him and everything, and all that, she was mean. And when we were done, he came up to me and he goes, so what, man, what do you think? I said, I got one word of advice for you. He said, what? I said, run, run for the hills. Okay? Right? Uh, I think God spared him from the answer of his own prayers. Because right? often we don't know what is good. Okay? So eliminate false beliefs that keep us in the pain and suffering that we're in and don't allow us to move on. Our call is to trust Him in all situations, not always to understand why. Even if we did understand, we may not like the answer. But our call is to trust Him no matter what. God never promises to deliver us from our suffering, but to walk with us through them, right? Psalm 23, even though I walk, what? Through the valley of the shadow of death, not around it. Though I walk through it, you are with me. Promises to be with us through those times and enters in to our pain and suffering and shares in it with us. Right? He didn't stand by uncaringly. He came into this world and suffered with us. Uh, and the most obvious way is through the cross. Finally, since we cannot understand all things, as Job, cling to what we know for sure. The main verse, the theme verse of Job is what? Job 13, verse 15. That is the theme verse, and that's the point you need to get to as a believer if you're ever going to leave the pain behind. Job 13, 15. When all the bad things happened in the end, what did Job say? Even though he kill me, yet will I trust in him. Some of your translations say, yea, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. That's the point all of us need to get to if we're ever going to leave the pain behind. To say, I don't understand all that happens, 
But no matter what, even though he kill me, I will hope in you. When you can get to Job 13.15, you're going to be able to start coming out of that dark tunnel and coming into the light and leaving that pain behind. And in the end, remember, okay, this is not the end of the story. You know, I was speaking with a good friend the other day. He had lost his daughter a year earlier in a serious car accident, their only daughter. And he had lost his wife to a battle of cancer. And we were sitting there at Zippy's drinking coffee and... Uh, Charlie looked at me and he just said, I'm 70. What really do I have to look forward to now? You know, and uh, I was sitting there just quiet. I didn't know what to tell the guy, you know. And uh, a good friend of mine who works uh, as a janitor on a golf course, he just looked at Charlie and he said, Charlie, this ain't the end of the story. And that's true for all of us, no matter what we may be enduring now, no matter what situation you may be in. If you're going through that dark tunnel, and you're having difficulty singing those praise songs, remember through all of this, this is not the end of the story. There's much more to come. Lots of topics like these are at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. We want to encourage you to go to our website often, download all the information there, past shows, Pat's books and articles, interviews with leading experts, and a full analysis of spirituality and culture. You'll find the topics fascinating, you'll equip yourself, and you'll help us stay on the air. If you believe in a radio program that intelligently presents the claims of Christ and analyzes issues of faith and culture, then support us. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org, click on the donate button, and anytime that you purchase our resources, you help us stay on the air. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and we so look forward to hearing from you. We'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.